This presentation is from UX Australia 2020, day four. Okay, our, um, our next talk is uh, Andy Healy um, coming up next. There we go. And um, Andy's going to be talking to us uh, about the fact, uh, one of those topics where we uh, are typically sort of told that assumptions are bad. Um, and Andy's got a slightly different take on that. He's going to talk to us about those times where actually assumptions can be good and useful things. So please join me in welcoming Andy. Hello. Hey, how are you doing? There you are. Very good. All right, Andy, good. over to you. Thank you very much. So, hi, everybody. Thank you for having me today. Um, over the last few days, we've heard a lot about bias and privilege. So in the next 20 minutes or so, I'm going to share with you a couple of techniques which will hopefully help you to manage them a little bit. Um, before that, hi, my name's Andy. I'm a content strategist and UX lead on the checkout team at Shopify. I live in Montreal in Canada, which is where I am now. This is Canada. Um, of course, I was hoping to join you in Australia, but it wasn't possible because 2020, I, I guess this way, at least I'm avoiding the jet lag. I moved out here to Canada from England a couple of years ago. When I arrived, I was so excited. I was running around like a little puppy dog, the cutest dog ever. But then I found out that everything wasn't quite as straightforward as I thought. Look at it, look at it. Simple things like trying to order food. In England, we have this meal called cheesy chips and gravy. And it kind of looks good, doesn't it? When I tried to order it in Montreal, people were rude to me. They'd mutter this French insult at me, poutine. It turns out that cheesy chips and gravy in Canada is called poutine. And get this, it's their national dish, a country with worse food than England. Amazing. So I borrowed some money from a friend to buy some of this so-called poutine. And once I'd got myself a Canadian bank account, I asked him how I could transfer the money back to him. Just Interac it, he said. And I was like, huh, what's an Interac? So he explained to me how Canadians transfer money to each other. You know, in other countries, we have these really straightforward systems to transfer money to people. You, know, you go to your online banking, you put in your bank details, and we're done. In Canada, they like to do things a little bit differently. So they created this system called Interac, where to transfer money, you have to send emails backwards and forwards and answer secret questions, yep, the usual kind of thing. What's your mother's maiden name? What was the name of your first pet? Obviously, my friend didn't know the name of my first pet. It's a system that's ripe for iteration. So, cheesy chips, or poutine, and interact. These are the basics of life in Canada. And these words, poutine, interact, they make sense to Canadians. So they assumed that they would make sense to me but they didn't because I had no context. And in UX, we make assumptions like this every day. Who our users are, what they want, how they do things. We assume that having a design system and components ensures a good user experience. But is it being used as intended? This is literally cancel culture. When we demo an important project in a Google Hangout or in Zoom, we assume that stakeholders are giving us their full attention we easily forget that people are working under different conditions. 
Or like when I signed up to speak at US, UX Australia, I assumed that I'd be getting a free trip down under. But here we are. And yes, assumptions like these can be dangerous. Wrong assumptions can cause projects to fail or worse. And going beyond UX, what we've experienced in 2020, indeed the last few years around the world, for many, many reasons, have shown us that we can't trust our assumptions. Assumptions are clearly a bad thing, right? Yet in reality, we make thousands of assumptions every day. All kinds of tiny things. Like when you turn on the tap, you assume that water is going to come out. I'm sure you can think of plenty more of them yourself. They're an integral part of our decision-making process because we don't have the capacity to validate every single one of the decisions we make. Most of what we decide to do is based on the assumption that we'll still be alive at the end of the day. And it's, it's about nine o'clock at night in Montreal right now, so I, I'm, I'm good, I'm nearly there. People tell me that I make too many assumptions. I mean, they don't actually say it, but I know that's what they're thinking. <clears throat> anyway, next slide, please. Now, at a recent Shopify event, Cynthia Sovod-Saucier, who co-wrote the book Tragic Design, and Alona Longuina gave a talk on the science behind decision-making. Super interesting stuff about how the brain works to make decisions. And they concluded that a decision, even a bad one, is still way better than no decision at all. And in UX and design, we sometimes need to make fast decisions. It can be a good thing to be opinionated. And this means making a few assumptions along the way. But how do we avoid the dangerous ones? Is there a right way and a wrong way to make assumptions? Today, I'm going to show you how to make them the right way so that you can make the right decisions for your users. We're going to do this in three entertaining, educational and practical steps. What more could you ask for? Number one, it's okay to make assumptions. Number two, make inclusive assumptions. And number three, check your assumptions. As tradition dictates, we'll start with number one. Now, back when I was at university, if, don't know, two or three years ago, one of my majors was philosophy. And honestly, hand on heart, it was, it was really difficult. It was really confusing. I'd like you to take just a moment and have a think about what your understanding of philosophy is while I just have a dramatic drink of water. Now, maybe you're imagining the greatest minds in human evolution, building on each other's work, striving to reach an ethical and social nirvana. You'd be wrong. Some of you may know of Descartes and his famous cogito ergo sum. I think, therefore I am. If you Google, I think, therefore I am, is wrong, there are almost 600 million results. A lot of philosophy is basically these really smart people point scoring and trolling each other. People love to prove the smart person wrong. So in the 1800s, a group of hipster American philosophers decided to try something different. They said that we can't keep questioning everything forever. Let's accept some basic assumptions so that we can move forwards. So they took the word pragmatism from Greek, which means to make things done. And that's pretty much the same as the popular tech slogan, get SH1T done. In England, the S word's really bad, so I'm just sticking with SH1T in case my mum sees it or something. And uh, 
These pragmatists, they set themselves some principles so that they could baseline their assumptions. There is no universal truth, since everyone experiences their own world and environments in their own way, at their own time, in a variety of situations. If something seems to work satisfactorily, then assume that it does work satisfactorily. And always allow for the possibility that a more effective solution will be found. And if these principles seem kind of familiar, it's because they directly align with resources that we have as UXers. User personas and journey mapping, data and testing, design crits and UX research. The pragmatists had their principles to support their decision making. In UX, we have all these resources and more to support ours. Yep, if me or anyone else says, I think my design will work because my opinions are great, obviously that's really dangerous. But if me or anyone else says, okay, I think this design will work because it fits in with previous journey mapping we've done, we've tested similar designs, it, it aligns with our user feedback, then that's some strong supporting evidence and it's quite a fair assumption to make. And this is our first step towards making use of assumptions in UX, knowing that if you're pragmatic and you baseline them using these resources, then it can be okay to make assumptions to get SH1T done. Okay, number two, making inclusive assumptions. Are you ready for a context switch? Your UXers, of course you are. Back in the UK, we have mountain rescue teams who are groups of volunteers that help people who are hurt or lost on the mountains. And like all good project teams, at the end of every instant, they run a retro and make it available online. Some of these are quite funny. Couple stuck in a tent. Don't ask me how, the zips and everything. Some of them aren't so funny. In 2007, Jennifer and Christopher Parrott, who described themselves as experienced hikers, drove from Oxford up to the mountains in North Wales. When they got there, they bought themselves a map, a compass and a guidebook and set off to hike up a mountain called Triffin. The guidebook said that the route up Triffin was easy, but there is no easy way up Triffin. In the last 30 years, 17 people have died on Triffin. The couple got lost and Christopher Parrott slipped and fell to his death. Now, the coroner's inquest was unusual in that it specifically criticised the guidebook that the couple had bought. It said that the title Triffin the Easy Way is extremely misleading and gives a false representation. It said that the map they bought was virtually impossible to follow. And, oh, Bear with me, sorry. And I've got a copy of the book right here. Maybe this will help. No, right? Maybe. Maybe this will help. No, right? It's just a big wall of text and a tiny little map. It's clear that the author made a series of assumptions. The first of these was just one word, easy. Without that, the couple probably wouldn't have even decided to go up Triffin in the first place. And then he just kept piling the assumptions one on top of the other, each one making the situation more dangerous. He assumed that their experience level. He assumed that they would find and read all of the warnings. And he assumed that the description and the map were clear. And what's interesting for us in UX is that all of these assumptions could have been made safer by being more intentional about how the content was created. 
naming patterns to avoid confusion or ambiguity, use needs analysis to identify the problem that needs needed to be solved, information architecture to make sure the content was findable, and user testing to see if the solution was performing as expected. All of these things help to make our assumptions safer. Like a guidebook writer, our role in UX is to look after our users, to take them on a journey, and to guide them through safely. Now, compare that guidebook with this online one, which makes safe, inclusive assumptions. Its users might be beginners, so it doesn't say that it's easy. In fact, it specifically says it can be dangerous. It gives a detailed map, and it gives step-by-step -step instructions and photos. The writer understands that for each of his users, it's the same route, but a different journey. And this is really important. He keeps the content clear and simple. In 2010, the Australian Bureau of Statistics conducted some research into literacy. So it's, it's a little old, but it's, it's likely still fairly representative. And they discovered that over 45% of Australians aged 15 plus have reading skills below the minimum required to meet the complex demands of everyday life and work. Meanwhile, in the US, the average reading level is that of a 12 to 13 year old. So at Shopify, we have it built into our design system that that's the level that we should be writing for. And there's lots of good reasons to do this. Shopify merchants are busy people. They're managing their family life. Maybe that wandering cat. They have a million things distracting them from your content. They've got varying levels of literacy, and some may not speak English as their first language. By using plain language, we're making a safe assumption that improves accessibility for everyone. Or as Sarah Richards, who literally wrote the book on content design, puts it, it's not dumbing down, it's opening up. So when you build a new feature or design for a new market, be intentional about your content and make safe, inclusive assumptions. Design for everyone and don't leave anyone behind. Okay, number three, check your assumptions. A UX story. So I recently worked on a project and we made an assumption. We, we didn't think it was a biggie. We'd improved a feature and we intended to turn it on for all of our merchants. We knew that most of them wanted it, and there was, fair enough, there were some who didn't. So a week before the launch, we sent them all an email giving them, giving them the option to opt out. We assumed that they would read that email. Problem was, there was a 40% bounce rate, and only 22% of the emails were opened. And this set a few alarm bells ringing. Lots of our merchants didn't know that we'd turn this on for them. As one team member commented, that's not ideal. But it was a valuable learning moment. Now, at the start of the week, Mark spoke to us with real urgency about all the privileges people working in tech have. And it's totally true. At the Shopify offices, we've got a music room. There's a Mario Kart room. Heck, we've gone full in on the privilege. There's a slide. Thank you, Ryan. But we're all adults, even Ryan, who we shall stop sliding at that point. And we're responsible for our own decisions. As a team, we were responsible for, for how our decisions impacted users. And we should have done something to challenge ourselves sooner. And I'm now going to share with you a great exercise for doing just that. Introducing the assumption slam. So this is an exercise we do at Shopify to challenge our foundational beliefs about a project. A wise person, no, not me, once said, the hardest assumption to challenge is the one you don't even know you're making. 
and an assumption slam helps you to uncover these hidden assumptions. How it works, get, you get your project team in a real meeting room or a virtual one and brainstorm all of your assumptions you've been making about a project. As you're doing it, write them all down on post-its like how you do in a design sprint or a retro. So common assumptions might be things like, I believe my users have a need to complete this task faster. Or I believe that these needs can be solved with a big shiny button, something like that. Then spend 10 to 15 minutes, minutes with each person writing down all the assumptions that they think the team is making. And this is one of the many reasons why it's important to have diverse teams. You know, everyone will be working under their own set of biases. So the more diverse your team is, the wider the spectrum of gender, race, age, and so on, the more assumptions you're going to be uncovering. When you're done, share them by putting them all up on the board or virtual board, you know, Miro, Jamboard, whatever, and you might find that you're making a surprising number of assumptions. So to make them easy to manage, group and categorize them into themes. And when you have a manageable set of categorized assumptions, you can turn to your assumptions grid, which being the organized UX that you are, you prepared earlier. Now, this is made up of four quadrants divided by risk and knowledge. As a team, take each of your assumptions and place them on the grid based on how much you already know about them and how risky they are if they go wrong. So low risk means nothing much could go wrong. High risk means it could affect your relationships with your customers. Really high risk means it could affect their relationships with their customers. And you should end up with something like this, hopefully for you with less high risk unknowns. And now you can prioritize what you do with them. The low risk knowns, you can just ignore their distractions. The high risk knowns, you want to include these in your project planning. The low risk unknowns, they're not critical, but time allowing, you want to try and understand more about them. And the high risk unknowns, these are the spicy ones, these need to be evaluated. Your aim here is to move them to the left because the more you know, the less risky they become. So how do you do this? Well, as Nancy said yesterday, you turn your assumptions into questions. So start by developing research hypothesis. For example, if our users have a big shiny button, they'll complete their tasks faster. And then go and test your thinking out on users. Analyze the results, are your hypotheses true or false? And then you can knowledgeably iterate on your designs. Now, maybe you're watching this and thinking, that sounds great, does it really work? That's an excellent question, thank you very much. My time, I think, is probably very nearly up, but let me just give you a really quick example. Um, there's a feature we have at Shopify, originally named Shopify Pay, recently renamed ShopPay, which you can use to skip checkouts. If you've signed up for it, then when you shop online, you texted a six-digit code to your phone, and you enter that instead of your address and credit card details so you can pay really quickly. It's 11 out of 10, would recommend. But text messaging isn't perfect. There can be network issues, there can be concerns around security and so on. So we designed a new no text message flow. And yeah, we ran an assumption slam to see if we were taking anything for granted with our approach. And it turned out we were making some pretty risky assumptions. Are we giving users a clear value prop? Do they feel secure enough? Will the lack of friction freak them out? So after the slam, we went back to work and we did more design explorations. We shared them at UX reviews. We went out and tested them with users. We became more knowledgeable. And when we were confident that no assumption was left unturned, we launched. Now, launching something new is always exciting. As we say in England, scary. Shopify page used on millions of checkouts. So we watched really, really closely how it was performing. And it worked. Yeah, people were happy. Now, this success wasn't entirely down to the assumption slam, but 
but the slam was one of the tools that we used while we built a more, success, more inclusive, successful product. Okay, we've seen that there's right ways and wrong ways to make assumptions. So next time you're starting a project, remember, and sorry, Steve, I will be another one minute before I finish. Next time you're making, starting a project, remember that it can be okay to trust your UX gut as long as you take the time to check your assumptions and to make them safe and inclusive by using all the tools at your disposal. Everything I've talked about today is mentioned in a couple of Shopify UX blogs, one by myself, which includes a link to a template deck for running your own assumption slam, and one by Julie Booth, the genius who introduced the practice of assumption slamming to Shopify. And honestly, please go and read Julie's. Um, before I make way for the fabulous Melissa Voderberg, let me just tell you one last thing. Uh, last summer, I went out for dinner. I ordered poutine because I love poutine, as you know. It turns out that poutine comes in more than one flavor, and some of these are really quite spicy. I don't really like spicy. This, whichever way it is, was not a good experience. Like the pragmatist said, there is no universal truth, even with poutine. Thank you very much.